Hey everybody, it's Pastor Dylan and welcome to the Dayspring Wesleyan Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take the time to download our church app. It's the best way to stay connected to the life of the church. All you have to do is go to the app store, search for Church Center, download and enter the information for our church. You will then be connected to our church community. I hope the following presentation inspires you to move closer to God in this journey we call faith. Enjoy. Good morning, church. I, would, uh, I, would, I just want to take a moment this morning. We just, um, um, in the preparation for this service of today, um, initially we didn't realize that it was going to be uh, September 11th, so we wanted to do some things to just memorialize uh, those events. And um, I want to ask this morning, because I know in our congregation we have um, several first responders, and hopefully you won't be too embarrassed to do this, but if you're a first responder, would you please stand up this morning for us? I wanted to recognize um, those of you this morning because of what we witnessed during 9-11 as people were running away, first responders are running in to the problem to correct. And so um, I just wanted to take a moment even this morning to just do a quick prayer for those of you. And so, Lord, I want to thank you for those who are willing to run into danger when it's present and willing to correct or fix the situation in order that others of us may feel a sense of peace and security. Father, we are living in times when I don't think the respect is given to those who are serving so diligently and faithfully. And so I pray a special hedge of protection around them and around their families. And I pray that we as a nation will continually support, lift, and encourage them as they continue to do a work in serving. We thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for doing that with me this morning. If you have your Bibles with you today, I want you to turn to chapter John. We're going to be dealing with verses 1 through 11. Um, wanted again to make a couple of announcements. First, um, we are doing a Belong and Become class together tonight. So those of you who are signed up for that, that leads to membership if you'd like to do that in the church. Uh, we're going to be having a meal as well there tonight. And so uh, make sure you plan uh, to be a part of that if you signed up, and uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing you. And it'll be a little bit longer because we're putting two classes into one because I missed the other class with being sick. Um, also, uh, the ladies' retreat is quickly coming upon us, but I have to tell you, I was a little shocked this week because we were talking about the ladies' essential retreat. Then I asked Colleen, I said, you know, how are the numbers going? And she said, they're going much better now. And then she made this statement. She said, it just seems like many of the women are waiting until the last minute to sign up. So here's my beef with that. My issue is that as a man, I'm often told by my wife not to wait until the last minute. All right. So I feel like now I have an obligation to get on you. All right. So ladies, let's not wait to the last minute. You know, how dare you wait? Do you know how much time we've spent getting ready for this? Do you understand? I can't just make all these changes at the last minute. Okay, it's very emotional for me. So please get in there and sign up today, would you? Uh, the other thing we have going on is something we've been promoting for the last several weeks, and it's our EHS, which is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's our attempt at small groups during the evening. We're having a meal before that. We're having um, the small group time. We have something for teens at night. So if you have teens, they're, they're going to be participating in the study as well. I found out that this week we have over 150 signed up now. 
and then another 50 students. So that gives us over 200 that will be attending these things. But I still want to say this. There's room for more. So to get in there and sign up. Uh, if you have kids from kindergarten um, to fifth grade, they're going to be actually during that time doing a musical practice as well. So we have something for them. And then we realized with a number of our young families that we really didn't have anything for them. And so I reminded you last week, if you have um, a, a child that would be nursery or, or you know, just uh, birth to, you know, to kindergarten, um, if you would go out in the lobby today and say, I need some child care, we're going to make sure that that happens. But you need to stop out there today and let us know. The other thing that I failed to do, and uh, Pastor Dylan, he so graciously reminded us this in the most loving way. And this is something I forget to do. I, I often forget that not only are you here, but we have this whole online community that we're dealing with as well. And so on an average, 150 to 200 people watch us online every week. And knowing that, we know some of them can't come or can't get here, and they want to be a part of the small group study as well. So we have the EHS, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, that will be going on um, during that time online as well. So if that's you, make sure you sign up online, let us know you're there, and Pastor Dylan will make sure that you're being covered as well. And so he'll be facilitating that time. So again, thank you for all that uh, cooperation and, and uh, just pretty cool week. Now, I do want to tell you about something humbling that happened to me this week. My youngest son, um, he came home, and I, don't, um, I always tell him, you got to let me know when these things are happening, but he said, Dad, he said, uh, had a girl ask me out at school this week, and uh, he's in fourth grade, and I said, I said, well, what'd you say? He says, it's not going to happen, you know, <laughs> so um, then I proceeded, because I wanted to give him a hard time. I said, well, why do, you, why do you think this girl was attracted to you? And he said, hmm, he said, I think it's my athletic ability. And uh, I said, uh, you know, I said, boy, I thought it would be your looks, you know. And, and, and I said, well, looking at you, it's probably not that great, you know. So it's, you know, I said, the athletic ability. He's like, yeah, Dad, she just wants to date a quarterback, you know. And, uh, and so, so I laughed. But then I thought, I'm going to take this opportunity to boost my own ego. So I said, hey, Isaac, I said, um, I said, what do you think attracted your mom to me? And he thought, and he goes, your personality. And I said, it's not my uh, good looks. And he's like, definitely your personality. So that was my only conversation with him this week. So as I was preparing this message and this passage this week, I, um, I don't know why I didn't take time to do this. And, and probably because we're a little bit farther removed. But I didn't really realize that it was going to be 9-11 this week. And um, um, this passage, I think, actually fits in to sort of the feelings and some of the emotions we went through on 9-11. Um, it's interesting, you know, it's, I, I always remember my parents telling me they, they, they remember where they were when uh, Kennedy was shot. And that's one of those days that I'll never forget what I was doing. It was a Tuesday morning for me. I, I was, uh, believe it or not, I, I got up like at uh, eight to just go mow my lawn. That's what I was doing. I had a little push mower. And so I was, I was doing all the push mowing and, you know, grass all over me, pretty hot and sweaty. And I came in that morning, turned on the TV and was just going to have it going on while I was in the shower. And then I saw the towers, what was happening. And then I saw why they were doing the interview, a second plane hit. And uh, I just sat there and would not leave that TV for the rest of that morning. As I recognized that America was under attack. And I have to tell you, for me, it wasn't like a feeling of thinking that like I was being attacked personally. I mean, we live in Marion. It's you know, it's probably not the first place they're coming after. 
um, but seeing what it was going to do to our nation and understanding that we're going to have kids and adults and trying to figure out our emotions and, and being scared around that time. I found myself in that moment getting very, very angry. Very angry. And I remember thinking, man, whoever did this, they better pay for this. And I, and I was upset. And over the weeks, as more information began to become public, I um, actually found myself in my own spirit being very upset with certain people groups and uh, even watching individuals that were different than me trying to figure out um, if we were under another situation and just, you know, sort of having these bad feelings towards everything. And so I think that many of us can understand those emotions of what we were going through, what we're trying to figure out. Um, it was a time that we had never been through anything like that. That happens in other countries. That doesn't happen here in America where we feel very safe. And I'll never forget going into the first church service after that. And this church was full, full, full of people trying to figure things out, praying, trying to seek some um, solidarity in the moment. Um, they wanted to feel peace. They wanted comfort. People wanted to make sure they were right with the Lord because they didn't know what would happen next. And so the church was a great place for people to come to. And I still believe that the church is a great place for people to come to when they're in need. But I often felt in my spirit like I knew there were some wrong motives because I felt like I was getting part of this, what I would call mob mentality, to where, again, I, were, I was looking and profiling certain people that I shouldn't have been doing that to, where I should have been showing them love all the way. This passage today, I believe, deals with that. How do we, how do we face that sort of mob mentality and how do we stop those things from happening and make sure we don't get sucked in to just some different areas that can be more destructive for us? So today we're going to read from John uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. A lot of people will include part of the last verse into this as well. But it says, Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery, in the act of adultery. In the law, in, in, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is with, without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away. One at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for this passage that is in this text here today. And I pray that as we examine the things that are going on and within our own time, you would help, help us out to evaluate how we respond 
in the way that we may go after people. And I pray that in our spirit, we would begin to develop some things that would say, you know what, let's take a moment before we jump in with the crowd to make sure what we're doing is right and truthful. I pray that today above anything else that your word be claimed as truth. And if there's anything that I would mess up today, get wrong. I pray that you would clean it up in the ears of your people so that the only thing they would hear today is from you. Amen. So this text of scripture, before we get into it, um, if you have an NIV study Bible or some other type of study Bible, you may notice in there that they, they have a little bit of um, instruction about this text. And so I want to get into some of the um, um, problems that people may see with this text before we get into the whole thing. First of all, this text is not in the earliest manuscripts that we have. So when they were writing the Bible, they were transcribing it from one scribe to another. And so what they do when they're looking at text and trying to figure out what it was said, because as you're writing something, if you look at like, for example, Hebrew, I studied Hebrew for a year and, and it's incredible how like a little dot can change a word. And so if you're thinking about, if you're scribing something and if you're like me and careless, I may just accidentally touch the paper at some point and could have changed the whole context of, of something that was going on. <coughs> Excuse me. So, uh, and the Greek is very similar too. Like if you're scribing something, you, you know, if you're tired or something, maybe you didn't uh, scribe it um, sort of the right way. So what they have a tendency to do is they go back to the earliest manuscripts and they begin to find all the similarities to them. Well, all the early manuscripts does not have this text in it. Some of the later ones began to add this. So you can think that, well, somebody just added something to the text. Well, you have to understand, though, as scholars began to study this passage and where this came in, what scholars realized is this, in fact, did happen. This, in fact, was about Jesus. The problem is really with the placement of it. So for our sake, it's not, you know, we're not dealing with the placement. We're dealing with the actual text. So for us, it still speaks to us today. But that's why they have some of that stuff sort of mentioned in there. So I just wanted to make you aware of that. Um, so as I was reading this text, one of the things that I realized is even in our culture today, I think that there's sometimes this mob mentality to, to jump onto something. One of the things that is, uh, and I'm not trying to make any political statements here, but one of the things that's very annoying to me right now, um, and again, this may just be a personal thing, but as I was talking about our first responders today, it drives me crazy when we take monies away from um, from our, um, you know, our police and those that serve us. It, it bothers me that we have a little bit of less respect for them. Um, I feel like if, if I, you know, if a cop shoots anyone today, I feel like the mob just kind of jumps on them and stuff. And I think we forget to sort of put ourselves in that situation. How would we respond? How would we react when you only have moments to sort of make those decisions? And for the most part, man, those that are serving us do a great and fantastic job. That's just like anything else out there in the world. You know, I don't want to be judged as a pastor because of one pastor in the pulpit that is taking people's money and getting their own gain and their own wealth. I don't want to be associated with another pastor who is having affairs out there and is still trying to lead his church. Like, I don't want to be associated with that. So I'm hoping that you extend grace to me and realize that Chuck hopefully is different than those other individuals. And I say, too, that I want to extend grace. But there's sort of this mob mentality that we can jump onto at times. And I think that that is what is beginning to happen. But it's just not with, you know, the cops and stuff that are out there. It's just with anything in life. I mean, I think these things started in an early age. You know, one kid does something to another kid, and it makes that kid mad, and then everybody else hears about it, and then they want to jump on that as well. 
you want to find mob mentality, man, you don't have to go very far, but go to a middle school and get around a bunch of girls. And there was a rumor that some girl said, and they can't even prove it's true. But all of a sudden, all the girl, the girl's like, mm-hmm, yep, I agree, I know, she is evil, you know? And like, they just start attacking them, and they, they get on the social media, and they attack them, and they're attacking them in school. But it's just this mob mentality. And we can joke about it, you know, as far as middle school, but we do the same thing. I mean, we do that at our places of work. I've seen it done in my home where one of the kids makes a mistake and then it's like all of the other kids like, ah, we're going to destroy you now, you know? And it's just sort of this mob mentality. And unfortunately, I've seen it in the church as well. I'll never forget when we were doing these um, big dramas and we were doing this drama, um, Heaven's Gate Tells Flames. And we've been praying about, you know, people coming and, and a lot of people got saved and just kind of this really intense time of just prayer and, and acceptance and watching what God was doing. And I had invited a group of kids from the middle school. And it was at that time when they all were like wearing the trench coats and anybody that wore a trench coat was probably carrying a big gun, you know what I mean? And, um, and uh, or they were satanic and all this. And so and I, I invited these kids. And so there was a group of three or four of them that came. And when that group came in, one person was like, we need to watch them. Another person was like, we need to watch them. And another, and another, and another, until several eyes were on these three teenagers who I had invited. And it was almost like you could see this mob mentality, like we gotta be careful. They literally had somebody that was following those kids around everywhere they went. And they just stood there and they just watched them. And some of you would say that that might be a feeling of, oh, we just want to be safe, we just want to protect. And I get that. But when they kept whispering the things that they were whispering and not realizing anything about these kids, after the service, they said, hey, Pastor Jack, I don't, I don't think your church wants us here. And I said, why, why do you think that? And they said, well, people are just following us and look at us differently. And uh, they never came back. And some mob mentality we have. And that's just a little subtle way but I've seen the mob react to a pastor. I've seen the mob react to somebody else in the church. I've seen the mob react to a certain sin or a certain, certain political view. And we just go crazy about it. And we end up hurting the name of Christ more than helping it. So I wanted to follow Jesus' example today and see what he says how we should react. And so mob mentality, as defined as this, it describes how people can be influenced by their peers to adopt certain behaviors on a largely emotional rather than rational. And I thought, you know, I, I do that same thing. Sometimes I get so emotionally involved, which is what happened to me in 9-11, that I begin to make emotional decisions versus rational decisions. And it causes me to sort of mess up those things. So I'm going to give you some steps today to fight that mom mentality based off the passage of Scripture we have today. First of all, in verse 11b is what I'm calling this, I want you to think what, how Jesus responds. And we're all the way sort of towards the end of this. But this woman is brought to them. She's caught in adultery. And what is Jesus' response? He's just honest. He's just honest. He doesn't say, ah, don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. But what is it? He's honest about it. And he tells this woman, go now and leave your life of sin. So right away he calls it out. And we know what she's been brought there for because they actually tell us. They said, this woman was caught in adultery. By the way, the whole thing is messed up. 
because they start quoting some of this other stuff that's, we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, but they didn't even bring the guy in with the adultery. And the guy is just as guilty as a woman when it comes to adultery, especially in that time. So he doesn't, the guy's not even brought in. They just bring this woman in. And really it was more for, they were making a statement and they were trying to bring one of the least of these and see how Jesus would respond to this woman. Now I have to tell you this too. I probably should have started with this. Um, this, is one of those, this is one of those passages where um, I remember a pastor speaking about it and the view I had of this was off, was off. And I'll get to that in a moment because my view where all these guys were holding rocks and then we're getting ready to stone this woman. But the passage actually never tells us that they had rocks in their hands, does it? And the passage never tells us that they dropped the rocks before they left. And so again, am I thinking, am I bringing up that sort of the image I had in my head? But what they did is they found this woman in adultery and they brought her before Jesus. And Jesus' response wasn't to say, you didn't sin. His, his response was, let's not do it again. And he acknowledged the sin. And I have to tell you, in our day and time, in our culture, I think there is an issue with us recognizing sin anymore. And I think some of that is our problem with understanding the Bible as a whole. Because I think for most of us, we see the Old Testament. And when we look at the Old Testament, we see sort of this vengeful God that is to be feared. And it's like we miss out on the loving side of God because we see this God that delivers the great flood. We see this God who wants certain groups of people destroyed. And so we see this God who is almost vengeful. But we forget that God is also loving and that he is protecting the people of Israel all the time. Like we miss out on that. And then we get to the New Testament and then we see what we believe is almost a correction for God. And we see this very loving God who seems to forgive almost everything. It's like, well, let's forgive them. Let's show compassion. Let's love them. That's who Jesus is. And I love this figure of Jesus. But we also forget that Jesus also says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when we're talking about hell. So he continues to say, look, I want you guys to get things right because I don't want you to end up in hell. I want you into heaven. And in our culture today, we've really come around this loving side of Jesus to where we almost allow any kind of sin to be okay. And I have a problem with that. Because it's not about Chuck deciding what sin is and what sin isn't. It's not about you deciding what sin is and sin isn't. It's about what God considers sin. And we're living in a culture where we're not willing to be honest with one another. And our struggle is this. When we do tend to be honest, we tend to have a mob mentality where we go after the people instead of the sin. This woman was caught in a sexual sin. There's other issues today that we're making okay. And probably the things that I'm about to say, some of you will be very upset with. But I have to tell you, I have to look to the Bible at all times. But there are other sexual sins out there today that we're not willing to acknowledge. Seven times the Bible talks about homosexuality. And never once does it say that it is okay. Many other times, including the Ten Commandments, we're told that adultery is wrong. Jesus in the New Testament 
And the Sermon on the Mount says, even if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. So he's talking about the things that we see, the images that we place on our head, sort of the fantasies that we have. And he addresses all those issues. Just like this woman that was caught in adultery and he was honest with, though he hates adultery, he still loves the adulterer. And though God hates homosexuality, he still loves the homosexual. And though God still hates divorce, he still loves the divorcee. And I think that that's where we missed out on. And if you and I were to be honest with one another, we have to recognize that we as a church must love people. No matter where they come from. And we have to be honest with what sin is and sin isn't. And when I'm bringing up my kids, it's not like I love to punish them. It's not like I love to yell at them. But there are times that I have to be very honest with them and tell them this is wrong and this is right. And if I don't tell them, they'll never know. Now, the things that I've said today, I understand this. Some of the statements I made today In this world that we're living in right now, I'll be seen as intolerant. There could be a period of time when they could put us in jail for those type of things. Who knows? But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I say. It matters what this says. And if at any time I begin to change what this says, folks, we don't have anything to believe in at that point. Either this is all truth or it's wrong. And so we have to accept this as truth. And we have to be honest with one another. This is the infallible word of God. I do not make the choices of what is right and what is wrong. Trust me, you never want me in that position. Because I may get very selfish and do things for my own gain. But I want to follow the word of God. Secondly is this, confront hypocrisy. So if we go in verses 3 through 9, it says this, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus went down and started to write in the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. It's interesting to me the hypocrisy that Jesus is pointing out now in this text. Again, one of the hypocrisies was this. The woman was there. The man wasn't. Now, I'm no genius, but I know that in order to commit adultery, there has to be kind of two people present, right? Okay, and they only bring the one. Really, the lesser one in that culture. So they bring this woman and throw her out there. And now here's the other hypocrisy. They have no intent on stoning this woman. 
And again, in the culture and what I was brought up in the Bible, I always had this picture of these guys holding these rocks, like getting ready to just tear into it. And that was my vision. Maybe some of you had similar vision. And then eventually when Jesus puts this stuff down, I see them dropping their stones one at a time and walking away. Again, are we told that they have stones in their hand? No. Matter of fact, if you look historically, this has not been a practice for almost a thousand years. It wasn't even a practice. This isn't what they typically did at that time. And yet they're bringing this, why? Because of hypocrisy. They don't care anything about the law. What do they care about hurting right now? Jesus. Their intent has nothing to do with this woman. It only has to do with hurting Jesus. And church, what I'm concerned about is they didn't even care or they didn't even value this woman at this point. All the embarrassment that she went through, all the sort of being scared, because what would Jesus say? What if he says, stone me? Then I'm going to be stoned. I'm embarrassed at this point from the woman's point of view. They don't care one bit for this woman. The only thing they care about, and it says this, they wanted to trap Jesus. And the reason why they were trying to trap him is this, that they thought, well, if he says, don't stone her, then he'll be denying the law. And this is what Moses said. But again, the hypocrisy is, they haven't even put this into practice for thousands of years. Like, it's crazy that they would even start doing that. And then secondly, if he shows compassion, then it looks like he's okay with the sin. So they were trying to trap him in this hypocrisy with even himself. And I love what happens next because I think that many of us, we are very hypocritical in the way that we handle things as well. I think we'll point out the sins of somebody else and we forget to look at our own sins. We get upset for the way somebody else might get sort of violent or upset or just loud and argue. And then we forget that there are moments when we do the same thing as well. We get upset when people don't see things our ways. And instead, it seems like they're selfish. And yet, at the same time, we are very selfish in the way that we react or respond as well. It's interesting to me, even in our culture today, if you've seen some of these mob mentalities, what do they do? These mobs, they get all upset because, you know, somebody got shot or something happened. And, and, and again, I don't know all those situations, but then they go in and the mob begins to destroy businesses. And so even though this one person's life was taken and their livelihood is gone, the mob thinks, well, now it's okay for us to just destroy a city, to just destroy other businesses, to just destroy other people's livelihood because that makes sense. And it's hypocrisy in there. Because how would they feel then? Well, you destroyed my building, now I'm going to go destroy your home. And you wouldn't want anybody coming in and doing that. And so I love the principle that Jesus teaches us in this moment. Because the principle he teaches us is to stop. And not say anything. But sort of evaluate the situation. And it says so that Jesus gets down and begins to write in the dirt. I'm afraid to do this. I may not be able to get back up. But... He's just down there writing, and scholars have sort of debated this very thing. Like, what was he writing? Some have just made some profound statements. They said maybe he just started listing all the sins 
of those people out there. Maybe start just writing down names and their sins that were accompanied with them. But are we told that in the scripture? No. Matter of fact, the interesting thing, this is one of the only places that we ever have Jesus writing anything down. And he's writing in the dust. I know whatever it was, he got up and he makes a statement to them. He says, look guys, he says, if any of you don't have any sin in your life, you'd be the first to throw the stone. Man, did that diffuse the situation or what? You still have this woman down here that no one's even paying attention to. But Jesus said, you look deep within yourself. What sins do you have? Man, he trapped them too. Because he trapped them with this. You're going to say your sin is any less than hers? Because we believe that all sin is the same. And he trapped them in that. And the older ones, which would have been the more wiser ones, says they walk away first. Probably upset. Oh, man, he got us again. And then the younger ones who tend to be a little bit more aggressive. By the way, watch a lot of the mobs right now. I've been around some of them lately. It's not the older ones that are out there. It's the younger ones just trying to make a statement sometimes, you know. But after the older ones left, the younger ones had to deal with it too and say, man, he got us too. And then they walk away as well. And church, I think what we have to be careful about is before we ever pronounce judgment on somebody else, I think you and I better take a deep look within ourselves and say, okay, where's my issues? Where's my problems? How would I want somebody to respond to me if I was sinning? And again, I think the first statement's still accurate. We still have to be honest with people. There are some moments, and, and I told you this before, where my wife has to be very honest with me and say, ah, I don't think that's the way you should have responded. I hate to hear it. And I'll walk away grumpy as can be sometime, maybe even yell a word back to her or point out something that she's done. But I have to deal with that and say, she got me. She got me good, you know. And I'll walk away and thinking, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have responded or reacted that way as well. And so I think we can get caught up in those moments. So we've got to confront our own hypocrisies. The interesting thing, by the way, <laughs> and this is what I love. The only one who was without sin was who? Jesus. So in his own statement, <laughs> who is the only person that has a right to throw a stone at her? Jesus. And what does he do? He has compassion on her. It says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? She's probably still down in the dirt, just as scared as could be. It says, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus had every responsibility, every, he could have easily picked up a stone and just hit this girl with it because he was without sin. 
Jesus opens up this big white thing of grace and just said, woman, and and we take that as sort of a um, a bad note today. This is just him acknowledging the presence of a beautiful woman there. And he says to her, woman, he says, who's condemned you? He says, I'm not going to do it, even though he had every right to do it. He just says, here's what I'd like you to do. Just leave your life of sin. Just leave your life of sin. Church, man, what a beautiful moment. You know how much that means to people if you and I can take sort of this anger and this bitterness and this, these sort of moments that we feel? What if you and I, instead of attacking people, or instead of getting involved in the mob mentality, what if you and I would just take a step back and say, you know what? I'm going to still acknowledge this sin, but I want to show you some grace today. And I want to show you some grace. So I don't care who it is that walks through the doors of this church. I don't care who it is we come in contact with. I just want you to know that you are loved. You have a Christ that died for your sins. You had a Christ that said you are worth and you are valued. And some of you may have sexual temptations that are among you. I mean, that's pretty much a lot of us in this room. Some of us struggle with the sin of homosexuality. Some of us struggle with the sin of adultery. Some of us struggle with just looking at a woman lustfully. Some of us take time to listen to a guy that makes us feel worse something, and we give him more attention than we do our own spouse. And though Jesus hates all those sins, he still loves you. And he says that you are valued and that you are worth something. I'm thankful for a God that loves us. I'm thankful for a church that is very accepting and loving. I'm thankful for a church that still calls sin, sin. But I want to make sure that we are a gracious place where people that are sick can come in and they can feel well. You know, it took a while for our country to feel safe again. But we got there, didn't we? And there's a lot of people that struggle to walk into this church. Why? Because they're afraid that we're going to throw stones. But we keep loving people, and they'll come in. And then they'll value what we say. And that woman valued what Jesus said, and he made a difference. Would you stand with me this morning, church? I want to take another moment of silence because there's six moments of silence that they take today. And some of them are going to be closer to our, our uh, second service. But it's interesting to me later on, um, I think it was at like 9, 9.59, that, um, that one of the towers went down. And then I think again at like 10.03 or something like that. A group of people on flight um, 93 decided they weren't going down like that. And they made this courageous step and they protected several other people because they put other people first. And so in this moment of silence today, I pray that you and I will take and remember that we have the ability to help other people as well. Let's take a moment.
And so, Father, we say thank you in this moment. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sacrificing yourself. Thank you for showing us what it means to truly love those less than us. I pray that today that we would be encouraged and that we would be inspired to not fall into what the world does, but to say that we're going to do things differently. We're still going to be honest, but we're going to take moments and stop and think because we want to confront We want to confront our own issues, our own moments of hypocrisy. And as we do that, and as we reveal to those, maybe we stop long enough to say we're not going to respond and do things the way of the world, but instead help us to see and show compassion when we are able, that we would continually love those around us and bring more and more people into the kingdom that desperately need it. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for meeting with us and ask that you would be with us as we leave this place today. In your name we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you are in the Marion area, we would love to engage with you at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fantastic children and student ministries, visit us at dayspringwesleyan.org. That's dayspringwesleyan.org.